0: And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox.
1: Good afternoon, I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every week we are bringing you the latest breaking news, it seems like, anymore to help you start or grow your own real estate investing business. The market is changing so quickly, both in terms of pricing and inventory, but uh, what what is more, uh, let me say, alarming to uh, those of us who are in the business is the uh, regulation, the lending market, the things that are, are, are reacting to the future that lots of experts perceive of the real estate market as opposed to what is happening right now. And we've talked about a lot of different aspects of that over the course of the last po- uh, the last month or so. But the thing that we haven't talked about is the effect on apartment buildings. The, the apartment market seems like the residential market and like it should run on the same cycle as uh, single-family home rental type properties. But it's actually sort of known for, while it has its own cycles, not running on the same cycle as residential property so it seemed like it was maybe time to uh discuss that and to uh I say discuss I'm going to be asking questions here just like just like all of you are because apartments are not my thing um I've brought in an expert who I can ask those questions of and actually get good experience based answers my guest today is Anthony Chara, who is a uh, two-decade real estate investor at this point, which means he has been to these rodeos more than once. In fact, was investing during the big real estate bubble that happened about uh, a decade ago. and so has seen what happens in lots of aspects of the apartment market when that goes on. He is joining us by phone from his home in Aurora, Colorado. Anthony, welcome to Real Life Real Estate.
2: Hey, Bima, thanks for having me. I, I got really excited when you said there was going to be an apartment investing expert. <laughs> and I was looking forward to what they had to say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Trying to learn something, are you? <laughs> how, exactly. how, many, how many units do you and your partners own now, like 1,400 or something like that? Well technically, right
2: now we own about four to five hundred, but since two thousand and five we've owned we've bought and sold over two thousand units
1: yeah I, I at what point are you going to admit that you're an expert
2: uh, probably never <laughs> I, you know to me it's I think it's one of those those things where I don't want to sound too cocky and <laughs> like calling myself an expert so.
1: well i I said it so it's okay and okay and 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 also this is. I, I'm. I know. I'm. I'm sidetracking us from our actual topic here. But isn't it interesting how no matter how experienced you get, you're always sort of looking at the horizon instead of in the rearview mirror. You're. You're always thinking about like, no, but I want to own five thousand units, and not thinking about that you have already bought and sold more units than. Even if, even if you take apartment people, you're probably in the top one percentile of of experience in terms of of what you have done. And also isn't it interesting that I bet you're still learning things.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I still go to other conferences and things like that in order to continue learning because you're you're right. I've been investing since nineteen ninety three. And I still go to different events every single year just because of the stuff that I learn from them. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's fantastic. And, and quite frankly, if you're not always learning, then what are you doing? You, <laughs> if you're not learning it from other people, then you're learning it the hard way, which can be a lot more expensive.
1: That's true. Letting the market teach you how to do fill in the blank. You know how, how to how to how to buy real estate, how to manage real estate, how to rehab real estate. If you let experience teach you, that is a super expensive boot camp right there. Yep. And I've I've, I've taken it several times.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> You've done both, Mister. It's just my one of the things. One of the things that you learn about by being in the business for years is it doesn't matter how smart you think you are. You probably ought to go find somebody smarter about that thing before you <laughs> jump in and try and do it. Um, okay, so uh, I want to talk to you about what you see coming in the apartment world and a little bit about what you're seeing happening right now because you and i had a real interesting conversation about that earlier today um and it's uh you know right now everything's very rosy i understand that you and your partners are getting literally unrequested offers like people calling you up and saying i want to buy your building and i will pay you this Insane amount of money for it, and that you're taking those where it makes sense.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We've had we've had two properties over the last year, both right around 100 units. One actually right in your backyard up in Huber Heights outside of Dayton, mm-hmm. and then one down in eastern Texas, and literally. Brokers have called up out of the blue and said, hey, I've got a guy who is willing to pay you this amount of money for your property. And it it was anywhere from probably a million to a million and a half dollars more than what we thought the property was worth ourselves, even having done this for as long as we've done this. Mm -hmm. And just couldn't believe it. And it's like, okay, uh, yeah, we're interested in listening. And we actually had one of them. We were about to go under contract on the one up in Huber Heights. And then COVID hit. Mm hmm. And the buyers out of New York, and so everything just shut down because they pretty much shut down the entire state of New York.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So at at the moment, you're you're sort of seeing some of the same stuff we're seeing in the small rental properties, which is there's there's still a lot of exuberance about the apartment market. There's still people who are making investments that you necess- you wouldn't necessarily make. They're they're offering prices that if you were looking at the same building, you'd say. Mm-hmm. not not sure that number 100% makes sense and when you are getting those offers or when the people that you're working with are getting those offers you're telling them hey if they if they're willing to pay a lot more than what you think it's worth it may be a good time to sell
2: absolutely yeah and that would be a very good time if you're getting an offer above market price or what you think the property is worth it probably would be a good time to sell and then There's a couple things you can do. Of course, you can either hang on to the proceeds and wait six to 12 months for some of the stuff that we haven't that you and I haven't discussed yet on the call uh, to to take advantage of those situations or to possibly do a 1031 exchange a little bit sooner and get into another property, assuming you can find one that is realistically priced. Mm Because as Greenspan said years ago, there's some irrational exuberance going on (laughs) in the marketplace.
1: It's it's frothy. That's that was another word he used in describing the subprime loan crisis. (laughs) Um, So, okay, good. So right now you are you are still actively buying if you can find the right deal. But you are also you're also doing something that isn't usually I mean, I know I know for you and for a lot of the folks you work with, the goal is not to sell. The goal is to have income that you know uh, that in some cases is like an entire year's salary every year being generated by an apartment building but but it may make sense to sell those if you get the right offer because there may be some opportunities coming up in the future that you could use that cash for um, when we come back from the break, we are going to talk about what anthony 's crystal ball says about what might happen over the next one to two years, and more importantly, if you are an apartment buyer, or interested in becoming one, some of the challenges that you might need to deal with, and more importantly, some of the opportunities that you need to be prepared to grab, you can ask Anthony your questions about apartment investing at 877-772-9658. Again, that's toll-free, 877-772-9658. Or you can send those questions to Vina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is my favorite apartment expert. Expert. I just called you an expert again, Anthony. Uh, Anthony Chara. (laughs) We're talking about, and there's not a thing you can do about it because you're six states away. Um, We're talking about what we might see in the apartment market uh, as you know lots of things are changing right we've got a we've got rent moratoriums uh, the one at the federal level plus some states even have ones that are uh, if you will worse (laughs) that that are more restrictive we've got some things happening in the finance market that we're going to talk about we've got um you know even even some of the economists for you know places like the National Association of Realtors are predicting that the housing market is going to soften significantly over the course of the next few months and years as a lot of inventory that has not been on the market because of covid goes on the market and of course we've got this looming 7.5% default rate in residential mortgages. Um and and you know, a lot of those folks are currently operating under a foreclosure moratorium, so they're not paying and they're not being foreclosed on, but the foreclosure moratorium doesn't go on forever. So uh we've got that thing coming up coming up. The the current default rate is higher now. If you look at the if you look at the ninety day late, so it's higher now than it was in two thousand nine, which was kind of the height of the um, great recession, uh, foreclosure bubble. So we need to relate these things to apartments because apartments are different than single family homes where it comes to investing. They are evaluated differently. They are, um, they are financed through a different system. There's, there's a lot of different stuff about them. So today is for you guys who love apartments or you want to get into apartments and again, I want to invite you, if you have questions that I'm, I'm not asking here, call 877-772-9658 or send an email. That address is askvina at gmail.com. It's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. Okay, Anthony, get out your crystal ball. And off the record, on live radio. <laughs> tell us what you are guessing we're going to see in 2021 and 2022 in the apartment world.
2: Oh, well, for people that are prepared, a lot of opportunity. So I I think what's going to happen, you kind of hit the nail on the head a couple of times with the eviction moratorium and the foreclosure moratorium. Uh, You know, when, when the eviction moratorium first came out, it was just pretty much a blanket. You can't evict anybody. And that was a problem because there were some people that needed to be evicted. There are always people that were causing problems. There were people that had jobs even though COVID was out, and they still just chose not to pay the rent. Matter of fact, we've got one in one of our properties that just flat out said that. He's like, eh, you can't do anything about it, so I'm just not going to pay the rent. Huh. And here it is six months later, and we're still trying to get him out. Uh, so it was kind of interesting because uh, there was a short little more, uh, a short little period of time when the eviction moratorium in the state, this is in Iowa, was uh, went away. And then about a week later, of course, the CDC came along and said, well, we think you should put the eviction moratorium back in. So during that week, we immediately filed for eviction. And then the next week when the CDC came out, of course, he went back and said, oh, COVID, I can't, <laughs> I can't pay because of COVID.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, at least they changed it, though at least a lot of now you you mentioned earlier some of these states are have some very restrictive eviction moratoriums and foreclosure moratoriums but at least the cdc guidelines basically state that the person is supposed to sign an affidavit stating that it was uh, because of COVID and that's the reason they can't pay but they're still supposed to put forth their best efforts to try and find or make partial payments or find some type of a resource to make payments But other than that, I think what's going to happen when the eviction moratoriums are lifted, I think you're going to find a lot of owners around the country who were not prepared for it and did not have enough reserves set aside. And you're going to see a lot of these residents that are claiming that they didn't have money because of COVID. They're never going to get caught up. And what's going to happen is when the eviction notice hits the door, rather than waiting to be evicted, they're just going to vanish. And the thousands and thousands of dollars that they owe to these landlords is not going to be there. And, of course, you've got a lot of these lenders who are saying, well, that's great that you don't have all these renters paying, but we still want our mortgage payments. So even if you can't make the mortgage payment, the the owner of the property can certainly file for a forbearance, and that can be waived. But at some point, the residents are supposed to make up their past due payments, which most of them probably never will. The owners of the properties are supposed to make up their past due mortgage payments, which if they don't have enough reserves set aside, they probably never will. And so what you're going to see is a huge opportunity probably in the next 6 to 12 to 24 months where there's going to be properties coming on the market that you can take advantage of that opportunity in order to, to buy some great apartment deals that aren't at some of these outrageous prices that properties have been selling at over the last year or two.
1: hmm mm-hmm. um, Let me – let me – Back up a second, because you just said something that I took a note on uh, before the break uh, about outrageous prices. What do you attribute that to? I mean, for, for forever, the reason one bought an apartment building was because one was looking for a certain yield, right? like like you know there's 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 complexities that go along with owning an apartment building it has to be managed you got to manage the manager at the very least there's you know maintenance there's there's expenses that have to go into it and people would would weigh that and say you know for this building in this area I would like to get a an 8% return on my money and when you say the prices are outrageous I I'm I'm translating that to mean People are buying them at prices where their returns are extremely low if yep. if not non existent <laughs> so what do you what do you attribute that to like why Why are people doing that it's not like the the math on apartment buildings is pretty easy i mean you've got a spreadsheet that i've got you know plugged into my computer here. And when I find a building, I just enter the data and it spits out what I ought to be paying. Do, do they not have the spreadsheet? Like, what is going on?
2: <laughs> well, they, they probably do. But keep in mind that I think there, there's two things that are happening. Number one is there are a lot of people on the east and west coast, whether it's California, Oregon, Washington, New York, uh, Massachusetts, you know, any of these high price areas where people are living or owning apartment complexes. And what's happening is over the years, the, the prices in those areas have started to go up, cap rates have started to compress. And so a lot of these properties are being sold in the two to 3% cap rate area. Uh, and then what's happening is, as far as the middle of the country is concerned, you've got these people just like our buyer from New York, who wanted to buy in Ohio, they're, they're selling properties at two and three caps, and they're moving into the middle of the country, and they were paying there for a while. They were paying seven and eights, and now as more and more money moves into the middle of the country, those cap rates are compressing and now dropping the cap rates into the four, five, and six percent range. And so that's driving up a lot of the stuff in the middle of the country, and I think what else is driving it, maybe on the front end, there's actually a couple things. Part of it is uh, – There are occasions that I've heard from brokers where they're dealing with somebody who did a 1031 exchange, and if you don't know what a 1031 exchange is, you have the ability to defer your taxes on the gains from that property if you take that money and invest it in another property that's at a higher price point than the one that you sold within a certain amount of time. And occasionally what happens is those sellers run out of time, and because they run out of time, they're just willing to take any property they can find at pretty much any price in order to secure their their tax deferment rather than lose it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's also driving up the price. The other thing that I've heard a lot about, especially on the coasts like New York and California and Washington, is there's a lot of foreign money coming in. There's a lot of foreign investors who believe in the safety of investing in real estate in the United States. And literally that's one of the things that's driven the Seattle apartment market and the housing market through the roof over the last couple of years, there's a lot of Chinese money coming in to that particular area. Also, a lot of Chinese and Japanese money coming into California and Oregon. Um, there's a lot of European money coming in over on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So, there's a lot of people out there who still believe very strongly in the United States, even though you you know you think on the news by watching the news that the whole thing's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that still believe in us and the freedom that we have here in this country, and they're willing to invest in our country as proof that they still love America.
1: And, you know, something else occurred to me while you were saying this that, that is, is probably driving a lot of this, because uh, you're, you're, you're exactly right. The The number of apartment buildings in Cincinnati, Ohio, the big ones, you know, 50-plus units, that have been acquired by companies with a New York mailing address or a California mailing address is huge. And I was just thinking about how when I, when I first, when I first started getting interested in, um, in apartments 20 years ago, the technology did not exist the way it does today. The, the access to information did not exist the level that it does today, where if I wanted to buy an apartment where you live in Colorado, I could find out almost everything about it online. Yeah. I I could find out who the owner was, what the owner's phone number was, how many units, how many square feet. Um, I could go on Craigslist and see how much you were offering your units for rent for like, it's so easy now for you to live in one city and have an apartment investment in another city. And it's because of, it's because of tech, Right. And we don't we don't think about that. And if I 20 years ago, if I had wanted to buy a building in Colorado, I probably would have had to go out there and spend a couple of days interviewing property managers in their office and looking at their systems and seeing if I liked what they had to do, had to say. And now we do a Zoom call and they would email me all their documents. And I I would I, I probably would never have to go. Any place to invest in a market that I thought was better than my market?
2: Yeah, you could even watch your property online now too. Mm-hmm. Put a couple up, a couple video cameras, and flip them on anytime you want to and check it out.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I'm guessing that you know the combination of, as you say, it's it's hard to get a return above two or three percent in some of these super expensive cities. Which actually is not necessarily a bad thing if you if you have experienced or believe that that building is also going to go up 7% a year in value. Maybe you don't care that it's only generating a 2% return. Um, the stuff on the interior of the country here does look super exciting uh, in terms of return. And then also, it's easy for those folks to search out and make offers on and examine uh, properties without ever leaving home. So... Um. All right. I get it. But it sounds like you think some of these folks are going to find themselves in trouble <laughs> uh, because they haven't put aside enough for reserves because some of them are going to have um, balloons coming up in their mortgages and uh, maybe the bank is not going to be so happy about uh, make- doing a refi given some of the current conditions. So when we come back, we're going to talk about specifically where are the opportunities going to be in the 2021 and 2022 apartment markets. If you have questions for Anthony, 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. We're talking today about... What, what might be happening in the apartment market coming up uh, with Anthony Char? who, by the way, I should probably mention, is one of the featured speakers at the 2020 National Real Estate Investing Summit, which is coming up in just a couple of weeks now. It's November the 7th through the 14th, and it's online, so... Do not tell me you can't come to the convention this year because you can't take four days off work and travel to Cincinnati because all you have to travel to is your couch. And the sessions are all either lunchtime, evening or Saturday. So no missed work, no time away from home. Uh, the thing is, the early bird price of $97 expired yesterday. So the only place where you can still get registered for the $97 early bird price is uh, at WMKVFM.org. And when you do that, you got to scroll down to the bottom of that front page and you'll see the big OREA symbol. When you do that, you're actually going to see a charge on your credit card from WMKV because it's going. Your 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 ninety seven dollars is actually going to the station as a pledge. Aria um, donated some seats to the station for fun drive, and last I heard, Bob's not here today. But last I heard, there were a couple of them left. So if you're uh, if you're in real estate, doing anything at any level you need to go to oriaconvention.com, check out the agenda. You're going to be stunned and amazed at all the different topics that you're interested in. And then, you know, if you want to come back here to wmkvfm.org and grab one of the discounted tickets, um, I'm pretty sure those won't be around too much longer here. So, Anthony, you've kind of of mentioned that while the market is super-duper hot for apartments right now, There are some things happening in the economy, Uh, the CDC moratorium being one of them. Just, I mean, recessions always affect rents, right? I mean, in a recession, you always have more people who can't pay. You always have a a little higher vacancy rate, all that sort of stuff. So that plus some bad decisions about um, not keeping enough reserves for stuff like this and, uh, purchase prices that may have been a little exuberant are going to uh, probably turn into a situation where there's there's basically more distressed apartment buildings on the market than we have seen in quite a while. And distressed doesn't necessarily mean like it needs a lot of rehab. Distressed can mean I, I can't make my payment and the bank doesn't want to take it back but they're willing to look at a short sale. It could be financially distressed as opposed to uh, physically distressed.
2: Correct. Yeah, there's a lot of owners out there. I I actually learned the hard way years ago with one of my partners. We had an issue on one of our properties where um, I I just assumed that, number one, lenders actually required reserves, And we had a little huge rainstorm that came through one of our properties in Jackson, Mississippi, and actually ended up damaging a few units because the water actually went up into some of the units. We had the foundation washed out from underneath the edge of one of our buildings, and two of the units... On the end of the building actually cracked and split away from the rest of the building wow yeah and uh, it was pretty interesting and of course i i when we started talking about this with my partner when he explained what happened it's like okay well how much do we have the reserves and his response was well what reserves oh it's like didn't the bank require reserves and he's like oh no and so you didn't set aside reserves oh no i was i i'd rather pay the investors to keep the investors happy and make sure that they're getting the returns that we promised them. It's like, oh, my God. And so, um, yeah, so there there are some owners out there who, because of COVID, that did not have reserves, they were not disciplined to set aside reserves, that probably just spent every dime that came in because they're thinking, oh, apartments are fantastic. Look at all this cash flow. And now they might have – and it's kind of interesting because you, you read these different articles, and I've seen articles over the last month that state that vacancy is actually it. around the country and another one that was at 30% around the country. Uh, The economic vacancy, people that actually weren't paying rent.
3: Mm -hmm. And
2: of course, they're getting this information from someplace. So I'm sure it's valid depending on the sources. But you also have to keep in mind that that's an average. And so I was looking at some of our properties and and we've got, I think we're probably maybe about about the mid-90s normally, and some of our properties were in the low 90s because of COVID, we have a few people that can't pay and have been affected by it, but not that big of a deal from what I've seen so far. So if you think about it, if we have an extra 2 or 3% vacancy in our property, not a big deal, but if the average is 20 that means that somebody out there has 35 to 40% vacancy on their property with people living there that can't pay because they've been affected by COVID. Mm-hmm. So some of those owners are – if they don't have the reserves and they can't continue to make their mortgage payments or get caught up after the moratorium and the foreclosure evictions – or the foreclosure moratorium and the eviction moratorium are lifted, they're going to be in a deep world of hurt. And like you said, those banks, they don't want to own properties. Banks do not want to own apartment buildings. They want to loan money. So the first thing they're going to try and do is do short sales to get rid of the properties if they can't foreclose on them. But then once they foreclose, turn around and sell them as fast as they can. And get the best price that they can in order to recoup those funds, so that they can then loan that money back out again.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And something that I'm I'm not sure I know you teach this. You teach you teach all the different ways that one can finance a. Uh, a million two million dollar property because i think that's like overwhelming to a lot of people (laughs) they say i can't get into apartments because i don't have two million dollars well okay folks let me assure you that's not the way it works (laughs) you don't actually have to have two million dollars um in fact you don't have to have any of your own money strictly speaking uh but the the way that it the way that the financing on the bank's side as opposed to maybe like a partner or a private lender or somebody like that mm-hmm. works is that um, a lot of these loans are not they might be they might be amortized over 30 years but they're not 30-year loans they're loans that in five years or seven years or 10 years you gotta you gotta pay them off or refinance them yep i assume that every year a bunch of those come up for refi right like it's it's not like they only come up in 2021 or they only come up in 2025 it depends on when you got the loan so we can assume that in 2021 and 2022, there's going to be some owners who are faced with time's up, it, it, the the loan is ballooning, and either the bank will say, we're not going to refinance it because we're, we're just nervous about the market, or they're going to say, we will refinance it, but not under the terms you got before. You got to give us different stuff.
2: Yep. Yeah, there's a couple of things that the banks are doing. <clears throat> uh, one of the things, and they and they are, they are, actually are working with people a little bit more now than what they were doing back in the late 2000s when we had the Great Recession. Because literally, I, I heard from a few people back then that the bank pretty much just said, nope, that's your loan, and you either pay it or you don't, and we're not going to work with you, and away the property went.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
2: know that personally because that was one of the properties. We actually lost a property back then because the bank was not willing to work with us. They pretty much just said uh, we actually got hit, even though the market was doing great. Actually, this was in the early – this was like 2012, 2013 when the economy was doing great. The problem was OPEC dropped the price of barrel of oil to, what, about 25 or $30 a barrel. And a lot of the uh, the oil and gas companies around the Shreveport area – started laying people off. So we went from 8% vacancy to 40% vacancy over a couple of months, Mm. economic vacancy. And the bank just didn't care that the economy was hurting in Shreveport. They just pretty much said, oh, well, you got a Fannie Mae loan and it's guaranteed. So we're going to foreclose if you can't pay us and we'll just get the money from the government. Hmm. But nowadays they are doing a little bit better. They actually are working with the forbearance agreements I've I've got one student who actually had a a couple of RV parks. And when COVID hit, the RV parks pretty much came desolate. They they were vacant because they had to completely shut down because of the social distancing and things like that. So she was able pretty easily to get a forbearance agreement on two different properties and two different loans. And now the economy is coming back. She's doing great again because people are traveling and getting out there. Um, But I still think there's going to be some people that aren't going to be able to survive. Um, The banks are also requiring because of the – the nervousness they have in the market, they're requiring, they are requiring now greater reserves, where in the past they, it would be, if they were requiring reserves, it might be six to 12 months of principal and interest payments. Well, there's a few banks now that want anywhere from 12 to 18 months of principal and interest payments in reserves at the time of closing in order to get the loan. There's some that are requiring 12 to 18 months of principal interest taxes and insurance in a reserve account at the time of closing. Uh-huh.
3: Uh, and
2: then, of course, uh, there's there's a few banks that are also uh, raising their, their debt service coverage ratio, the DCR. Um, some people freak out when they hear that because they think, oh, no, if they're raising the DCR, it means they have to come up with more money down. Well, you could also use that potentially as a negotiation strategy with the seller to see if you can get the seller to lower the price because the bank is raising their debt service coverage ratio.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the bar... To get financing or get refinanced, which, again, for a lot of people with big loans, that's something you just have to do every five years, is going up. And when the bar goes up, that means that there's more people who can't figure out how to jump the bar. (laughs) And that means that sellers find it harder to sell. And we also potentially have sellers coming into the market because they've discovered that their building doesn't make any money when they're not getting 98% rent collection or they've discovered that their property isn't making money because their insurance went up or something. And generally, when when demand goes down and supply goes up, things get cheaper.
2: Yep. There's a lot more opportunity out there when that happens. That's, that's true.
1: Mm-hmm. So what happens after this is over? So let's say we have a typical U.S. recession, which runs you know nineteen to twenty-two months, and then we come out of it, and the you know the um, people go start going back to work and so on. What do you see? What do you see like in the long-term future of apartments? I I notice there are a bunch of brand new really fancy apartments in downtown Cincinnati <laughs> that weren't there five years ago. And it seems like there's just cranes everywhere in every city I look at, and they seem to all be building apartments. It, are we going to be going the direction of there's more like apartments are just a more common place to live? Or are we going to go to the direction of um, people want brand new apartments? And so the older ones get cheaper. What What is what is your distant crystal wall tell you
2: yeah i think everything goes in cycles and one of the things that you're going to see is what was happening in denver a few years ago there was a lot of people that for whatever reason whether it was the yuppie crowd the younger generation all of a sudden it was hip to live downtown gas prices were going up They were starting to put in more light rail or mass transit systems that made it easier to get uh, around the city. And a lot of people just gravitated towards the downtown market. It was the new, hip, young place to be. And so the suburbs kind of suffered a little bit, and a lot more new building went on downtown. And just like you said, in in downtown Denver, downtown Cincinnati, you've got all these new high-rises going up. Some of them are office buildings. Some of them are apartments. Some of them are condos. Some of them are a combination. And what's going to happen is they're going to build and build and build until they realize that they've saturated the market. And then all of a sudden, the same thing that's going to happen when they saturate the market is you're probably going to have the people who now no longer want to live downtown because maybe they've grown up a little bit, they're a little bit older, and now they want to start raising kids. So what do they do? They start moving out to the suburbs, they can have a yard. And so you're going to see things kind of ebb and flow back between the suburbs, downtown, suburbs, downtown, suburbs, downtown. So right now, if they're doing a lot of building in Cincinnati, in downtown Denver or downtown Cincinnati with all the cranes and putting up new buildings, you're going to see an influx of people that want to move into those downtown markets. And that would be a good area to start buying now. But what you want to do is keep an eye on what's happening with the market because eventually There's going to be a a, a tide of people that then shift out of the inner city and start going back out to the suburbs again. And if you've got an apartment building, quite frankly, in both locations, you can take advantage of the market. And and that's another way to, uh, in essence, kind of um, hedge your bets with the market, because you don't want to have all of your eggs in one basket. You don't want to invest only in downtown Cincinnati or only in downtown wherever it is that you live around the country and are listening to this broadcast. You want to have a variety of of investments Mm -hmm. and so you can take advantage of the ups and downs as the market changes you're also going to see just like you said with the housing market and the apartment market they don't necessarily flow hand in hand a lot of times the apartment market peaks first because a lot of people start moving into the area because of all the jobs that are coming in and then they move into apartments because it's quick it's fast they can get in there and then what ends up happening is they Once they get a full-time job or get established in that new job that brought them to the market, now they have time to look to find a place to move out to, whether it's a a home or uh, another apartment, someplace closer to where they work, or a condo. Uh, So Mm
3: -hmm.
2: you're going to see the usually apartment market peaks, and then it's followed by the housing market. Usually, the last thing that comes up in the market are the condos usually the first area that goes down are the condos. So if you start seeing condos start to stagnate in an area, especially when you have a lot of people that go in and they'll buy up an apartment complex and then they'll convert it to condos. And then you start getting a condo conversion glut uh, of too many condos. And then the condo market starts going down. Usually then the apartment market starts going down and then the housing market follows it.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So some things to keep an eye on. Uh, Yeah. I just drew myself a picture cause I had never, I had never heard that that watch things that way thing before. Okay. So Anthony, we need, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to answer a couple of questions that have come in from listeners. If you have a question, uh, just go ahead and email it. Send it to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to real life, real estate investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones Cox talking today to Anthony Chara, about the upcoming apartment market. And if apartments are something that you've just kind of been meaning to do or wanted to do at some point, or you think maybe the next few months would be a good time to start looking for bargains, uh, make sure that you're at the OREA National Real Estate Summit on November 7th through 14th. Anthony is doing a presentation on the evening of the 13th, and then he's doing a half-day workshop that's included in your registration fee on Saturday the 14th. And that doesn't start till eleven o'clock in the morning. By the way, Californians who don't want to wake up at six in the morning <laughs> to do a to do a workshop. It starts at eleven o'clock our time. So again, w-
2: turn, yeah. yeah, I'm actually doing the presentation on Thursday night, the twelfth.
1: Oh, Thursday, Yeah, Thursday and then Saturday. Sorry. Um, so wmkbfm.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. Grab a ticket from there. Okay. So Anthony um, got a question here from Heather. She says, Anthony, I've heard you speak many times. You're great, but now I'm finally actually ready to do this. And I have a question. What is the smallest size apartment building that you recommend for a new investor?
2: Well, you know, for me, the answer to that actually comes down to whether or not you are interested in buying a property with partners. If Because there are some people out there, they don't want partners, they just want to do it all themselves. If you're the type of person, Heather, that just wants to do it all yourself, then you really need to take a look at your own expertise and your own net worth and your own bank account in order to be able to pull off a purchase. Typically with an apartment, uh, and for those people that don't know this, apartments technically start at five units and up because uh, one, two, three, and four unit properties are considered just straight residential and you're you're going to have to qualify for those personally, and it's going to go on your credit report. Five units and higher is considered commercial residential, and it doesn't go on your, your credit report because your credit report is just for consumer debt, not commercial debt. Anyway, um, so normally, whatever property you're going to buy, let's say it's a million-dollar property or a $500,000 property, you're generally going to have to come up with a 25% down payment plus closing costs. Those closing costs could be anywhere from another 5 to 10%, depending on uh, whether you use a broker and inspection fees and a bunch of other things. And of course, what the banks are now going to want from you in the form of reserves that you're going to have to set aside for a period of time. Um, and by the way, you're not necessarily going to have to keep those reserves the entire time. After a year or so, you might be able to pull out some of those reserves anyway, because the bank might lacks their rules so that you can pull some of that extra money out that they don't normally um, require you to keep on the side. Mm. Um, so if you want to do it all by yourself, that's what you have to look at, um, how, what your money requirements are. Also, your own expertise. If you've had two or three single-family homes and you've used those as rentals and now you want to go out and buy a 100-unit apartment building, well, that the banks aren't going to see that as adequate experience. But if you have two or three rental properties now and you want to buy a 6 or 10 or 12-unit apartment complex, They shouldn't have any issue with you going from two or three units up to 10 or 12. So that's another thing that you need to take into consideration. Uh, However, if you're willing to take partners, the sky's the limit. You just have to start networking with other people that have the experience that you don't have, find people that are interested in investing with you. And a a great way to do that, of course, is at OREA. (laughs) once, (laughs) Once OREA starts going back to having their live meetings, and I know Vina, when we talked earlier, had mentioned that there's going to be some type of networking thing that you're going to be able to do, even though it's online. It's still a great way to start meeting with people and finding people and finding out what their ideas are. What what do they want to invest in? How much money do they have? And mm-hmm. what kind of experience do you have? And you can start putting these partnerships together. As, as Veena said, it doesn't necessarily have to be your money. Uh, for the first, I don't know, 10 years I invested in apartments, I probably had less than $100,000 total in 1,300, 1,400, 1,500 units because I was able to find other people who would who would invest with me. They would give me money, and I even had people who would sign on the loans as the guarantors just mm-hmm. for getting a piece of the deal in exchange for doing that. So mm-hmm. uh, It wasn't until two years ago that I actually signed on my first mortgage for an apartment building just because uh, we got thrown a curveball at the last second by a lender, and we needed to do it, but I mean, there's a, there's a lot of ways you can pull down deals. So, again, it just depends on whether or not you do or don't want partners, Heather.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Tony says, I I have a 12-unit building under contract. It's my first. I've done the pro forma on it, and at the price I'm buying it and the repairs that it needs, it's about a 10 cap, so I'm pretty happy with that. The problem is I can't find a regular bank who will finance it because at the moment it's 100% empty. Is there any such thing as gap funding similar to hard money in the small real estate world where I could borrow money temporarily to do the repairs, get it rented, and then go back to the bank for financing?
2: Yeah, there absolutely is. There are hard money lenders out there that will do that kind of loan. Um, Another thing you can do is you can talk to some commercial lenders. Sometimes uh, you'll find commercial lenders that only answer the questions that you ask them. So one of the questions you can ask them, if they won't finance it now because it's vacant, ask them if they have a source that will do something called a bridge loan or, quite frankly, a hard money loan. A hard money loan, just like it says, it's going to be hard money. They're going to base it on the asset and you, and they can give you money to buy the building and to do the repairs and with the idea that you're going to be able to get the takeout financing when you get the whole property completely taken care of in six months or however long it's going to take you to do your 10 or 12-unit property. But yeah, there are a bit, there are definitely lenders out there. I would recommend that wherever you live, Tony, that you go to the local real estate group in your area and you ask around and see who the hard money lenders are and start making those introductions with hard money lenders. They will do apartments just like they'll do single family homes if the numbers work.
1: Excellent. Okay, this may be the hardest question of all, Anthony. Uh-oh. This is this is from David. He says, Anthony, clearly you have experience in a lot of cities all over America. Of all the places that you've invested, which one is your favorite market and why?
2: Oh, wow. Um, I don't know <laughs> if I have a, a specific favorite because of that. Um, certainly, I think there's a lot of good ideas or good reasons to start investing further in this, uh, down in the southern states. I think as the population ages there's a lot of people that are moving out of the northern states and moving down to Florida, Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, Texas, uh, North and South Carolina, Tennessee. Uh, there's a lot of transitions happening. Um, for me, I, it's not really a favorite city. It's just I, I'm I'm a fan of any property that I can buy in any city that that does extremely well. So uh, Anthony, Anthony's, a Anthony's favorite really- market
1: is the one that's got the building in it that he can make a lot of money on. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Like
2: Dayton. You know, we've had a couple properties in, in around Dayton that we've done extremely well with.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So David, sorry. That's, you know, An- Anthony's, Anthony's uh, kind of agnostic about the market as long as the deal's there. <laughs> so, but thank you for exactly. your question. And Anthony, thank you for being with us today. And I, I really look forward to hearing, especially your all day Saturday workshop at the summit coming up on uh, November 14th. Again, listeners can go to WMKVFM.org to buy a ticket cheaper than even it's available on OREA's own website. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.